Brothers and sisters, as we turn now to God's glorious word, would you join me in prayer? Father, we love you so much, and it is our joy this morning to confess our dependence upon you. We want to find our strength in your strength. And so this morning, as we consider this passage from Ephesians 6, Lord, I ask that you would protect us from Satan. I pray that you would keep us from temptation to doubt your goodness, and I pray that you would deliver us from evil. So lead and protect your people, I pray, Father. And I ask these things through the power of of the Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus, our beloved Lord. Amen. What comes to mind when you hear the phrase, spiritual warfare? Perhaps much like when we hear the phrase, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the things that first come to mind are the unusual experiences, the dramatic testimonies, or the extraordinary examples. Maybe you think of old movie scenes from The Exorcist, or even true stories that you may have heard from a missionary or read about, missionaries ministering in foreign lands or among a jungle tribe just utterly cut off from civilization. Maybe as you think about it, you, you remember some personal things. You might remember the weight of spiritual oppression that you experienced in a very specific situation from your past. Maybe you experienced some type of evil or demonic presence around a person that you were near, or, or perhaps after waking up after a frightening dream, you sensed the presence of evil ever so close to you. Maybe when you hear the phrase spiritual warfare, your radar goes up and you immediately start thinking of examples that you can recall of times during prayer meetings or maybe in conversation with other believers where you felt Satan was blamed for things that were more properly just natural consequences of sin or or just the reality of difficult circumstances in a broken and fallen world. And it caused you to feel uncomfortable. Whatever your initial thoughts are about spiritual warfare, brothers and sisters, let's allow, let's allow the power and the clarity of God's glorious and incomparable word to inform our thoughts this morning. Our passage is Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, but in addition to concentrating specifically on verses 10 through 12 today, today's message will also serve as, as a type of introduction for this whole final sections, section of Ephesians. So I want to read all the way down through verses 18 and even down to verse 20. So then, my beloved brothers and sisters, hear the word of our glorious God from Ephesians 6, 
beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times, in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So lead us now, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we can see four truths emerge from our passage. Now, the first three are just clear implications drawn from this section of Ephesians. One, we are vulnerable, verse 10. Two, Satan is powerful, verses 11 and 12. Three, God is invincible, verse 13. Now, the fourth truth will come kind of into high definition focus as we explore the, the imagery that Paul uses in verses 14 through 18. And that truth is that Jesus has already been victorious over the devil. These truths are the foundation upon which our main idea for this morning lies. We can stand firm when evil attacks us because Jesus has already defeated the devil for us. And that is gloriously good news this morning, brothers and sisters. So then, let's begin by looking at our first truth. We are vulnerable spiritually. I'll never forget when our first child, Savannah, was born. What I remember the most about it, which is interesting, is I remember leaving the hospital. So now, no more red button to call the nurse if there's, if there's an issue. I remember pulling onto this, this major highway in Chicago for the very first time with tiny little Savannah in the, in the car seat. I'm not sure I ever felt more vulnerable in my entire life. 
everything in the world to me seemed dirtier and more dangerous than it did just two days before when we had arrived at the hospital. There were, there were gravel trucks just barreling past us, and, and I realized that I was experiencing an emotion that, that I didn't like, namely the feeling of vulnerability. To be vulnerable means that you are susceptible to harm or to attack. It means in some sense that, that you need help. Most of us feel vulnerable in some area of life, but the reality is that all of us are vulnerable spiritually. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This, this last section serves as, as the concluding thoughts that Paul wants to impress upon his readers as he wraps up this incredible letter to the Ephesians. The exhortation to be strong in the Lord infers that we are vulnerable, that we need help, we need the Lord's help, that we are not strong enough on our own to fight off whatever superior force might be opposing us or attacking us or seeking to do us harm. Now all of us have some area of vulnerability in our lives. Where and when do you feel most vulnerable to attack, spiritually speaking? That, that's a great question to discuss either as families or for sure in growth group this week. It's a great question to discuss with others who love you because enemies tend to attack at precisely the point they believe to be weakest in their opponent's defense. And others can help us to identify both our strengths and our weaknesses much more accurately. So Holy Spirit, as we, as we begin thinking through these things and as we talk about them this week, Spirit of the living God, would you open our eyes to see ourselves accurately and to see you as glorious. Now, Verses 11 and 12 unmask the reality of our enemy. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 11. So we learn by this description that the devil is scheming against us. Now scheming means to be involved in, in making secret or, or underhanded plans. Now, as believers in Jesus, we might take some comfort in reminding ourselves that Satan is, he's a creature, and that he's finite. I mean, compared to King Jesus, for example, who is all-knowing and all-powerful and omnipresent, Satan is, well, none of these things. He is not all-knowing. He is not all-powerful. And he can only be in one place at one time. But note in verse 12 that an entire coordinated army serves alongside of him. Verse 12, 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we have a formidable adversary. Now, though Satan himself personally may not find any one of us as, as individuals particularly worthy of his time to personally afflict us, nonetheless, he has a legion, verse 12, a legion of fallen angels to do his bidding in his evil attempt to not just make us miserable, but let's be clear, he absolutely wants to destroy us. Think about any nature video that you've ever seen where, where the predator is stalking its prey. Think about how carefully the predator watches every movement of its potential, sometimes unsuspecting prey. The most effective hunters, the successful ones in the videos, are the ones who are the most patient as they wait, as they observe, and as they ready themselves for attack. Satan may not be all-powerful or all-knowing, but neither are we. He is, in fact, hyper-observant, patient, cunning, opportunistic, and ruthless. Consider the haunting words of Jesus to Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, to sift you like wheat. And then Jesus uttered these words, which Peter later no doubt pondered and, and savored at the core of his being. But I have prayed for you, I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. And ultimately, because of the intercessory prayer of Jesus, the faith of Peter did not fail. Now, the clear reference, the clear inference of verse 13 is that the armor of God will enable us to withstand the scheming attacks of the devil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. On our own, that is in our own strength, we would be sifted, chewed up, spit out, deceived and utterly destroyed by Satan. So, beloved, according to the repeated theme of the entire, the entire first chapter of Ephesians, beloved, we are in Christ. We are in Christ Jesus. Though we are frail, he has no weaknesses. 
He is not vulnerable. He cannot be tricked. He cannot be mocked. He cannot be defeated. He will not fail. In fact, the reality is that he did not fail. He already has been victorious over Satan at Calvary. God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ, Colossians 2.15. And this is where the richness of our passage begins to explode with glory. Now, there are two common errors that many people make when, when reading Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Both of the errors are potentially lethal. The first error is to read about the power and the cunning of Satan uh, revealed here and in other places in Scripture and emphasize his power and his treachery so strongly that opposing him and battling him and trying to defeat him becomes our main spiritual focus. There is nothing, there is nothing Satan would enjoy with more perverse satisfaction than if we became so infatuated with what he is doing that we take our eyes off of Jesus and inadvertently shift the focus of our thoughts and, and our actions and our prayers to stopping Satan rather than continually savoring the glory of God in Christ. So the first error is to overemphasize the power and the presence of Satan. He is a very real enemy, capable of wickedness and destruction beyond measure. But for the believer in Jesus, his evil activity in the world, no matter how discouraging at times, should not consume our thoughts. Now the second common error in reading the section we are talking about this morning is to place the emphasis, the emphasis of the passage on the exhortation on what we must do in order to properly put on the armor of God. Being strong in the strength of his might inadvertently becomes another checklist of activities that we have to accomplish. In this case, being strong in the strength of his might really ultimately depends on the strength of our might. Have we put on our spiritual armor? Have we walked through the process step by step to ensure we haven't left ourselves vulnerable to Satan? Is there anything we forgot that might cause us to fail? Now, we certainly do have responsibility to be vigilant and to stand firm as we are exhorted to do, but a proper understanding of this passage should cause us to emphasize the glory of Jesus and revel in the strength of his might over and against both Satan's power and our own performance. A perspective that glorifies Jesus above all things begins with a clear understanding of the imagery that Paul is utilizing to both encourage us and to exhort us here in Ephesians 6. Now, verses 14 through 18, the most common interpretation of the imagery of Ephesians 6 is that Paul is describing the outfit of a typical Roman soldier of his time. So the thinking goes that in order to fight against an enemy like this, we need to ensure we are dressed for battle in a similar fashion. But I think the key to interpreting these verses 
is a right understanding of the phrase, the whole armor of God, which is used in verse 11 and then again in verse 13. This phrase refers to more than just the armor that God provides for us in our battle against evil. In reality, this is actually referring to God's own armor that God himself used to rescue his people and that his prophesied Messiah used in his battle when he defeated evil and triumphed over Satan, past tense, on the cross to redeem a people from their sins, a people zealous for good works. So then, for our purposes this morning, let's, let's just take this battle gear from, from head to toe. In Isaiah 59, verse 17, God, through his prophet, is addressing the sin that has separated his people from him. Listen to the power of these words. The Lord saw, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation and his righteousness upheld him. Then verse 17, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And then he says, a redeemer will come from Zion. The imagery in Ephesians 6 primarily describes the attitudes and actions of God himself in the saving of his people initially from Babylon and of the greater rescue provided by his Redeemer who came from Zion. We stand firm in the strength of God's might when we remember that God has rescued us from our enemies and we have been redeemed from our greatest enemy, sin itself, by the promised Messiah, Jesus, our valiant king who has already vanquished Satan. Now, we'll go through each piece of armor in detail over the next few weeks, but, but I think each, each item is instructive as it serves to expose Satan's schemes and therefore to protect us from him. The knowledge that God has acted throughout history, indeed he put a plan in place before the foundation of the world to redeem his people, that reality, that truth, that knowledge guards our thoughts as a helmet might protect us in battle. We know, we know that God is for us and we, we know that God is warring on our behalf. Is there anything that we need more to protect our hearts and souls than the knowledge that we are covered by a breastplate of God's own 
righteousness. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, how much freedom and joy and confidence and strength, even the strength of his might, comes to us when we realize that God's own righteousness has been provided for us in the person of his beloved son, our warrior king. This is the good news of the gospel. Do you know that it is true for you this very morning? If you are in Christ, you are covered by the pristine righteousness of Jesus as a breastplate might cover the heart of a warrior. In Genesis 15 and verse 1, God declares to the patriarch Abram, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Biblically, it is so clear here that it is not the strength of our faith that extinguishes the flaming darts of the evil one. Rather, it is the object of our faith, namely the one who promised to be the shield of our father Abraham and the protector of his people. Or, again, in Psalm 91, verses 4 and 5, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness, that is, not our faith, but his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. To what effect? You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow, even the flaming darts of the enemy, by day. Do you see? Do you see what is being said? We are strong in the strength of his might when we remember that God himself and the strength of his faithfulness is what causes fear itself to flee. Whatever uncertainty, whatever uncertainty is striking fear in your own heart during this uncertain time, know that God himself is our protector. I love you, O Lord, my strength. He can protect us from Satan. He can protect us from sin. He can protect us from anything. Now, one of the ways that God guards and protects us is through the truth of his word. In Isaiah 11, God's people had turned away from the Lord. But the Lord promised to, to send a Messiah, a, a messianic king from the line of David to deliver them. According to Isaiah 11.5, this king would wear righteousness as the belt of his waist and faithfulness or truth as the belt of his loins. In Isaiah 11, that is the root of Jesse, the line of David, this coming king would bring peace upon the whole creation. Do you long for that day? Oh, how we long for that day. Brothers and sisters, when he returns, when this messianic figure, namely the Lord Jesus Christ returns, this same messianic king who came to redeem his people will return in glory to come and get us. According to Revelation 19, when that day comes, 
when that day comes, when heaven rips open, Jesus will be the rider on a white horse. He will be the one called faithful and true. How much strength, then, do we gain from his might when we remember that God has sent his messianic king, our redeemer, to earth to redeem us from our sins? And how much strength do we draw from his might when we are assured by the truth of God's word that our redeemer not only lives, but he is coming again? In Isaiah 49, in verse 2, we see where the imagery of the sword of the Spirit originated. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. Isn't that fascinating and beautiful? Now, these words were first spoken about the nation of Israel. But where Israel failed, Jesus was victorious. These words reveal that God was preparing, preparing a warrior to come at precisely the right time, whose words would, would bring sharp and swift judgment upon all who heard him, indeed the entire world. So back to Revelation 19. When the rider on the white horse appears, his eyes will be like a flame of fire, and on his head many diadems. He will be clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the armies of heaven will be following him. From his mouth will come a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations, and at that time he will reveal to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So, draw hope from the strength of his might and the assurance that comes from knowing that our God reigns and that he will reign forever. Before our God returns, let us run to the nations to tell them of the hope that is found in Jesus alone. Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Brothers and sisters, the glory of our salvation, the miracle of what God has already done for us, and the certain judgment of all people should fuel the readiness of our feet to run, to run with the good news to tell as many people as possible about Jesus. We know, brothers and sisters, we know that in our own strength. We could not save ourselves from ourselves, let alone Satan. But brothers and sisters, because as this glorious book teaches us, because we are in Christ, we can stand firm when evil attacks us because Jesus has already defeated the devil for us. Therefore, it is in Christ alone that we place our hope forever and ever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me?
Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for the reality of who you are and what you have done for us in Christ. Left to ourselves, we would be terrified in this world, Lord. But because we are in Christ, because your promised Messiah has redeemed us, and because your promised Spirit now indwells us, we have confidence. We have biblical hope to walk into this confusing world and this challenging culture. We can walk out in freedom and in confidence and in humility and with joy and proclaim the good news that Jesus has come to redeem a people for himself and that he is coming again. Father, it is in Christ alone we place our hope this day.